This is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And we've, we haven't been around for a while. No, it's been so busy. And well, I was well, sick. You I were the sick. Flu. You're the flu in our schedules. But we are going to try to do better. I know we always we say, say that, that but, every we, time. but we really mean it this time. Yeah. We have a special guest. Our Becky's Kitty Kabibi. You may hear her purr. She's very interested in the microphone. But in any case, let's get to it. I have an update. Okay. I probably should have many updates. I think I probably have to have but some. But the, the, I've realized what I need to do when I see something I need to update instead of just texting you about it. I need to actually, like, save the link. Yeah. Since we text each other, like, a hundred times a day. I know it gets lost. It's very hard to find stuff. Actually, I have one thing that's not kind of not really an update. But in November of 2018, we did a main mini on George Stanley, the guy who had all the junk in his house, and he was gone, and somebody put an ad on Craigslist, and people came and sold. And there has never been an update in the paper. And I found something from January of 2019 just saying that they couldn't find whoever placed the ad, which I think... That's bullshit. Yeah, give me a break. In the 21st century, you can't figure out who placed a Craigslist ad. But there's been no, like, follow-up in the newspapers. But I have driven by a few times, and I had to go to Lewiston from where I live today. And where he lives in Green, Maine, is in between Lewiston and Augusta. And I drove by, and it looks like he's he had a lot of stuff out there. Well, it good. looks like he's still chugging along. So, And if you want to hear all about him, you can listen. I think it's the November 2018. Yeah, I think so. I was trying to think of what else was in that episode. It was the Ouija board episode. Oh, yeah. So it was no Because it happened yet. in October 2018, yeah. and I didn't have time to go back and find it. Because we don't really... Maybe we should start keeping a record of when we have the main minis. Well, I was thinking in our the description. When, just, when I put it online, yeah, you I should, should do put that. put a short one. I'll yeah. start doing that. Because you talked... In the beginning, when we had Ask a Lawyer, you had mentioned what Matt had talked about. Yes. So. Yeah. I, I will start doing that. Okay, so you have an update. I do have an update on... I wanted to interrupt for a second... Because not that we ever interrupt each other. But it was funny. I think it was our last episode. I said, maybe someday, maybe next time I'll do a woman who killed her husband. And now you're going to do an update on a woman who killed oh, her husband. Oh, wow. That is funny. And wow. I'm doing one on a woman who killed her wow. husband. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm not be, I can Spoiler explain. alert. Yes. In any case, on episode 55 in November of October of 2018, we did Nancy um, Crampton Brophy who is charged with killing her husband in Oregon. He was a culinary, he was a chef who had a culinary school, and he was shot one morning, and she was a self-published romance novelist. Um, I don't think she is anymore. But there's been very little about this, too. It's funny because I think I mentioned at the time in our episode that every publication was just kind of picking up what had run and, it, and people weren't delving into it in that good old school journalism way. And there was, I've been able to find very little, and it was like a year and a half ago. In January, the end of January, there was an article, and this is from Portland, Oregon's KPTV website. And they are, apparently are the only ones who wrote about it. I can't, I didn't have time to really go look, but I didn't find anything like the Oregonian or anything. But it says, new court documents show defense attorneys for Nancy Crampton Brophy the romance novelist accused of murdering her husband at a Portland cooking school have filed a motion to dismiss the case, calling the evidence against Brophy, quote, paper thin. And they have a punctuation error there, but I won't go into that. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I think, and this is something we can put on our list, as 
Matt, about yeah. what I think defense motions to dismiss a case are not abnormal. No, they're not. And I don't think it's really... They're not unusual. We did an update of this when an affidavit went into court that discussed the evidence about a year ago. I think we need to keep track of what our updates are, too. Yes. The affidavit that was released about a year ago, I think it was uh, March or April of 2019, We I did an update that talked about some of the evidence, and it sounded pretty damning. But... In this January, they entered a motion to dismiss. She's charged with a single count of murder with a firearm, constituting domestic violence, which I think is the whole charge, like it's a special charge. Yeah. She was arrested in September 2018, pleaded not guilty. It says court documents released detail why Nancy's attorneys have filed a motion to dismiss the case. The defense claims evidence was destroyed and DNA samples on the shell casings were not properly preserved. Those samples were important as they could prove that Nancy's DNA was not present on the shell casings at the murder scene. The defense says, I guess your DNA would be on the shell casings because you loaded the yeah. gun. Yeah. Well, gloves, though. I know. The defense also claims, well, remember, one of the things was that she had changed the barrel oh, of the gun. that's right. The defense yeah. also claims it wanted to disprove Nancy's gun was used in the shooting and, in fact, had never been fired, but it claims a crime lab report shows the condition of the gun was tainted by police. Nancy's attorneys assert that, quote, she asked to hire forensic experts who could test the physical evidence and challenge the weak tea on which the state case rests. The defense efforts have been frustrated again and again by the state's loss, destruction, or failure to preserve key evidence in the case. And that's from KPTV in Portland, Oregon. And she's scheduled to appear in court again in March. And it's early March is where the first week of March is we're recording this. It didn't say what date, and I could not find anything else about it. But if I remember right, some of the evidence against her was that she had ordered gun parts and had changed out part of the gun, the barrel yeah, and stuff. So and that. so the police took her gun, but the ballistics wouldn't yeah. show that it shot. You know, if they did lose evidence and DNA was destroyed and all that, it's pretty, it's a big, you know, whoopsie-doo on their part. Yeah. But I'll keep an eye out for when she's in court and see what the bottom line is on all this. It could be a defense tactic. It or, could be, but... And, but, it, but the whole case has been weird to begin with. I mean, she went months before they arrested her. They had her van on video circling his culinary school early that morning. There was the evidence that she had bought the gum parts, if I remember right, and there were some other things. But it just weirdly took a long time for her to be arrested. I know. And it also, you would think they would have built a pretty decent case against her. I know. Well, thank you for that update. I might do, because it's intriguing to me, just an episode on self-published authors who have killed their families. That's not very nice to, like, I don't know. What? To single out self-published yes. authors? What about dentists who killed their Well, parents? because I just There's find... a lot of those. Well, there was the guy who there wasn't a lot about in Massachusetts. The self-published, yes. frustrated self-published author. Children's author. Ch- self-published, I think. I know, but it said self-published children's right. author. Right. I just think it's an intriguing sub-genre mm-hmm. of family annihilators. I think, I think it's more that... Someone who's a narcissist and is going to kill their family 
is probably likely to want to self-publish because they think that they are such a great publicist. Right. Not that all people who self-publish no. are narcissistic. Don't hate me. But you have a... Before I start, I want to say I got most of the background information on this story on a site called Mainsleuth.com. Ooh. There was an article written by Joseph D. Thornton, a private investigator. He worked with Daniel Lilly, who was the defense attorney on oh. the case I'm, going to, I'm about to discuss. I also got information from the archives of the Bangor Daily News, the Wall Street Journal, Seacoast Online, and United Press International. Wow. For some reason, I did not get many on, um, I couldn't find much on the Press Herald. If I had 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 the time, I would have gone to the library and looked at the microfilm. I didn't have time. But it was like right around, this happened in 1990. You know, that's the worst. The, the, right, the black hole yeah, for so. you find yourself. Why don't I get... On the southern coast of Maine is the town of Agunquit. The name is an Abenaki word meaning beautiful place by the sea. And yes. it is. It was only actually incorporated as a town in 1980. Oh. It was a village. It was part of Wells until 1980. Oh, fun fact. When I worked for the Biddeford Journal Tribune in 1983 and 84, I covered Agunquit and Wells for part of my... Nice. As part of my beat. And I... It's weird it was only incorporated as a yeah, town. Yeah, I know. Like, I, well, I've noticed that on their sign when it says that. And I'm like, wow, 1980. But it was a yeah. village. It was part of Wells. So. Yeah. For the past century, at least, Agunquit has been a haven for artists and the L- LGBTQ community. Right. It's very well known for that. The population year-round is less than 1,000 people. But in the summer, there can be as many as 80,000 people on any given day. Right. And if you're driving into Maine... Avoid, you know, don't go on the, the only, right. The only way to get into Maine from the south is Interstate 95. Stay on the interstate. Don't say, "Oh, I'm going to get off and drive up Route One because there's one stoplight blinking." It, no, it doesn't have a stoplight. There's at a, all. It's it, a stop the, sign. It's not a whatever light. it is. Yeah, it's that a stop sign. It, it, we're. I agree with you. We're getting caught on uh, technicality here, but there will be a traffic jam from that intersection, and miles and miles and miles. Yes down Route 1, and there's no way to get out of it. Yes. So just don't do it. Back in the 1800s, fishermen dug a channel joining the Josias River and the ocean, creating Perkins Cove, where they could store their boats and fishing equipment because it was otherwise it was open to the ocean. These days, Perkins Cove has galleries, shops, boutiques, restaurants, and the only wooden foot drawbridge in New England, supposedly. Mm. No, I haven't been down there in ages. When I was a reporter, I can remember one one warm summer afternoon sitting down there with two of the three selectmen, so it was almost an illegal meeting, having beers and talking about town stuff. Mm, it was fun. Yeah. One restaurant that has been there for decades is Jackie's 2, and that's Jackie's T-O-O, Jackie's 2. According to the Jackie's 2 website... They are perfectly located at the beginning and the end of the Marginal Way, which is a, like, walking path yeah. that has beautiful views of the yeah. Atlantic. The owner of Jackie's, too, is Jackie Bevins. She <laughs> grew her business from a small sandwich shop to a full-service seafood restaurant with a wall of windows overlooking Perkins Cove. I think of Bevins Mahoney. Yeah, and, no. And Done disappeared. Done disappeared, yeah. Jackie is a well-known person about town and served on the select board for many years, from 1999 up to a few years ago. But in 1990, she became well-known for miles outside the small town of Agunk. At about 11 o'clock the morning of April 3, 1990, after Oceanside Hope in Cape Natick, Maine, Jackie Bevins took her 32 caliber Harrington and Richardson and shot her husband Jack 15 times, pausing twice to reload. Wow, 15? Holy shit. 
Depending on the source, Jack was either sitting in the tub or stepping out of the tub when he was shot. <laughs> I'm just thinking he wasn't doing either after getting shot. I know. Jackie was arrested and charged with murder. I wanted to find out more about how she, how she was arrested and what happened when she was charged. But like I said, I didn't have time. There was nothing online about exactly what right. happened. All I uh, found out was that the police found her the next day in the psychiatric unit of Maine Medical Center in Portland, which is 40 miles up the coast. Right. And I just watched, like, two Cape Nettick, where they lived, is, like, yeah. south of the gun. It's a, a very south. south end of... And they home. had a beautiful home, apparently. Yeah, rich people live there. Jackie retained the services of defense attorney Daniel Lilly. The late Daniel Lilly. The late, great, a lawyer who has starred in several of our previous episodes. Her trial started in October of 1991, and Jackie pled self-defense. Her argument was that she suffered from battered women's syndrome. According to the Centers for Disease Control, battered women's syndrome, BWS, also known as battered person syndrome, is a subset of post-traumatic stress disorder. BWS develops over years of sustained abuse. Many times the victims feel helpless, believe she deserves the abuse, and that there is no way out. A lot of times there's shame associated with the abuse and guilt, which is why victims will hide their injuries and downplay or deny abuse when concerned friends or family ask about it. Their fear of the abuser becomes so great that they're afraid to go to the police. It wasn't a huge secret around a gunkret that Jack was an abusive asshole. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's a small town. I mean, it's less than a thousand people most of the year. I mean, I hate to sound like one of those cliches from true crime shows, but people knew who everybody was. And And in towns like that, too, even in the summer when the population explodes, it's like there's two sets of people. Because the town I live in is kind of like that, too. It's like the townspeople are all in their... Orbit. You know, yes. it's like one of those horror movies yeah. where there's, like, ghosts moving yeah. around you. Like, you're interacting with these other people, but it's not like suddenly you're interacting yeah. with all no. these other people. The Bevins had been married for 23 years at the time of Jack's demise. Jacqueline Garmala was originally from Keene, New Hampshire, described as a homecoming queen. I don't know if she actually was, but... What, what the article, an article said she was, quote, described as a homecoming queen? No, no. This guy described her as a homecoming queen. So she must have been one, right? She was tall and pretty. She met Jack Bevins in Newton, Massachusetts sometime in the late 60s when she was a waitress at a restaurant where he was eating. She had a son from a previous marriage, Peter. Jack also had a son named Doug. He adopted Peter when Jack and Jackie married. According to Joseph Thornton, that PI that wrote the, had most of the information I found, Jack was a low-level member of the Patriarcha crime family, which is out of Providence. Mm-hmm. Jack was a bookie, money launderer, and dabbled in drug dealing and arson for money while living in Massachusetts. After they moved to Maine, he started a trucking business and continued laundering money in the Cayman Islands and making books. Jackie worked in restaurants, and after the family moved to Maine, and I'm unclear about when that was, I think it was the late 70s, sometime in the 70s, maybe early 80s, she started several restaurants and was running Jackie's 2 at the time of the shooting. She was a hard worker, starting early in the morning and going late into the night. And that's kind of what you do when yeah. you own or run a restaurant. Yeah. Jack was a heavy drinker and abusive almost from the beginning mm, of their relationship. Sounds like a real prize. Jackie kept diaries from the early days of their marriage that revealed that Jack would hit Jackie and then tell her to go to her room, and she would always obey his orders. While Jackie had a strong personality outside the home, and ran her businesses by herself. Jack had really had nothing to do with her businesses, although he took the money. At home, he was in charge. Mm. At her trial, her lawyer, Dan Lilly, said, this is a long quote, but 
It's like one long sentence. Okay. Quote, Jack would hit Jackie, send her to her room, slap her, blacken her eye, bloody her nose, and pin her to a stone wall with his car on one occasion. Ugh. He had urinated on her in the bathtub on their wedding night. Ah. He threatened to kick her out of the house as she visited her mother, assaulted her approximately mo- once a month for four years from 1970 to 1974, broken her eardrum, hit her eye, blurring her vision, beaten her up, thrown glass objects, tried to hit her with a piece of firewood while pinning her against the floor, demanded that she wait by the telephone for his calls, huh. constantly told her she was a, the problem, called her fat, ugly pig, beaten her in the bathtub, forced sex upon her, threw a toaster at her head, forced objects in her vagina such as a banana, the handle of a knife, a Coke bottle, a candle, and had raped her more than once. This is all quoting Dan Lilly. Mm-hmm. Still, I'm... I'm Dan Lilly right now. He also, because his grammar's not that good. Mm-hmm. He also had frightened her by driving over 100 miles an hour on a back road. He had taken money from her, which he then spent on his girlfriend. He had run her down with a car and driven her on the windshield. I'm assuming he meant she... she driven her with on, yeah. He had locked her in the bathroom and had the particularly nasty habit of locking her out of doors in the cold wind. He had pushed her into a stone fireplace, punched her... Knocked her down the stairs on Christmas 1989, threatened to kill her, told her repeatedly that no one liked her, and threatened to feed her to the alligators. Wow. The end. Yeah. Maine doesn't really have a lot of alligators. I just want to throw them. Yes, that's true. But maybe they were in Florida when he said that. That could be. Not only was Jack an alcoholic, he was a philanderer. Mm. He was always trying to pick up women who worked for his wife, uh, like all the wait staff and stuff. He had so many affairs, Jackie had lost count. He didn't hide his affairs, and one night stands from Jackie. On the contrary, he flaunted them. The prosecution's theory was that Jackie was enraged by the fact that Jack, now at the time was 47, was going to move his 26-year-old girlfriend to a condo in a gunquit for the summer, and he was going to move in with her. According to Assistant Attorney General Thomas Goodwin, Jackie murdered her husband in cold blood due to jealousy. Mm. I think Thomas Goodwin might have been in some of our... But according to Jackie's friend Rob Camerata... Jackie wasn't thrilled about it, but she had accepted it. She was done with Jack, she had told Robert on the phone the very morning of the shooting. Robert testified at trial that he spoke to Jackie shortly before she went home that morning. She was meeting her husband at their home so he could pick up some household items for his move to the mm-hmm. condo. On the morning of the shooting, Jackie had an appointment scheduled with a divorce attorney. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the first time she had started divorce proceedings. She had filed more than once before and then changed her mind. And in 1985, Jack had a year-long affair with the bartender at Jackie's 2, Suzanne Jackson. Jack got Suzanne an apartment in Boston. Jackie found out about it and was pissed, but didn't shoot him then. No. Suzanne actually testified on Jackie's behalf at her trial. Wow. The morning Jackie shot her husband, they did have a fight. He and she had a fight about his plans to move in with his girlfriend. Only Jackie knows what actually caused her to shoot him, but everyone around her knew that she was upset about what was happening. She didn't hide her feelings, and at the trial, both prosecution witnesses and defense witnesses testified to the fact that Jackie was always crying about something Jack had done. Although the defense gathered 22 witnesses to testify about Jack's abuse of Jackie at trial, Joseph Thornton, the PI guy, reported that the typical behavior of an abuse victim made some of the testimony more difficult because Jackie wore long sleeve shirts to cover her bruises and made it excuses for her injuries, 
It was harder for those around her to say for sure what they thought was happening. Hmm. Some people even suggested that Jackie was the aggressor because she was taller and larger than Robert. And one witness at trial told the court that Jackie had said, I'm afraid of what I'm going to do. I'm afraid I'm going to blow him away. But most people in the town of Agunquit who knew Jackie liked her. She was friends with everyone, from the lobstermen who docked in the cove to the police. During the trial, dozens of letters were sent to the court in support of Jackie. One read, quote, She has always impressed me as a very kind person with a hard exterior who is always sympathetic toward those less fortunate than herself. Someone else wrote, Jacqueline Bevins is a person about whom it is impossible not to have an opinion. Now, I think that second one isn't... Yeah, that doesn't mean but you also, like her. That you, sounds like somebody trying to say, trying to be... Like, say something with, without saying anything. Right. That reminds me of the book we're going to review, though. Which, yeah, a lot of it she got her, her friend to write those letters. Yeah, I know. <laughs> as I said, Jackie was friendly with police. As a matter of fact, the police chief is the one who gave her the murder weapon. Oh, good for him. As with many restaurant owners and managers, Jackie would leave the business at night with a lot of cash on her. There was an attempted robbery, and the police chief gave her a gun that had been confiscated from some criminal. And I'm like, isn't that illegal? Yeah, I would think so. I don't understand. Like, no, like, I think it's According to this, this private eye, he took the gun out of his desk drawer and said, here, you need you need this for... So it wasn't like in some evidence room somewhere? No, he, he said, here, you, you need some protection. Yeah. But I'm like, is that, like, yeah, are you allowed to just give people No, I don't think so, and they have to register them and stuff. I know. Well, she, maybe she had an illegal gun, I don't yeah. know. Jackie didn't know how to use a gun, but took shooting lessons from the dad of one of her waitresses, a lobsterman guy. She learned enough to use it when she felt she needed it. Jack was often absent, and even though Jackie worked a lot, she was the parent who was at home with the boys. Her sons were close to her and testified for the defense at her trial, even his her stepson. Mm. Peter Bevins, Jackie's son, said at the trial, quote, I heard it many times, yelling, arguing, thumping, crashing. Obviously, they were fighting, and it became physical. He said Jack often hit Jackie and called her a fat pig. He said during one argument, Jack picked up the toaster oven. Quote, he picked it up and threw it at her. It was like a football across the kitchen and hit her, and she collapsed in the corner. Jesus. Peter testified that Jack ran a bookmaking business in the basement and told his stepson when he was in grade school, the stepson, obviously, Peter, Jack's occupation was to be kept secret. Douglas Bevins, Jackie's stepson and Jack's son, testified about an incident that occurred in 1985 when the family lived in a house in Perkins Cove. Quote, I saw my father on top of my mother. It appeared they were wrestling around. He had what appeared to be a log held above his head. It looked like he was going to hit her with it. I tackled him. When I tackled him, he got off her. Doug also told the court that one day he walked into the kitchen and Jackie was crying. He asked what was wrong and she showed him two grocery bags filled with cocktail napkins bearing the names and phone numbers of women. Quote, there must have been a couple hundred of them. Jesus, he said. Doug said Jack was not home much, drank a lot, and quote, had the potential to have a fierce temper. He never really blew up in front of me. And I'm like, really? Yeah. What about when he tried to hit your mother with a log? I know. Like, that's not blowing up in front of you? I know. Well, I think people, as we know from the other book we, the book we're going to review, find ways to rationalize and minimize what's going on just so they can survive that's and true. live with it. Another witness was Mike Linozzi, who was a regular at Jackie's Two for Breakfast. 
He said he saw, quote, loads of bruises on her arms. And he said, many times I'd walk in and she'd be hysterically crying. I'd ask her why, and she'd always say she'd had a fight with Jack. Another witness was Andrew Smith of Kennebuck, not the same Andrew Smith who's my former brother-in-law. Mm. That and would have been too crazy. Andrew Smith testified that in 1986, he was working at the Cumberland Farms in a gun court, which I know where that is. Uh, that's at that intersection. Yeah, it's right before it. He was closing up for the night when Jack Bevins got out of a taxi and wanted to buy a pack of cigarettes. Andrew said no, he'd already cashed out the register and the lights were out. Smith said, as I turned from locking the door, he slugged me. So uh, he went back inside and called the police. And then the article doesn't say, like, did he get arrested for it or not? Marilyn Carmusen, a former co-worker of Jack's, said of Jack and Jackie, Quote, he was always so nasty to her, and he would always have such a violent temper. But she always stayed with him. I asked her why. She would always tell me that she loved him. Mm. A psychologist who had interviewed Jackie testified that Jackie was not only afraid of Jack because of his abuse, but because of his ties to organized crime. She may have had good reason. According to Joseph Thornton, about six weeks before his death, Jack tried to hire someone to kill Jackie. When Jack was down in the Cayman Islands, he asked an acquaintance with mob ties if he knew someone he could hire to kill his wife. He was introduced to Nick Theodore. Jack offered Nick $5,000 to rob and kill Jackie. Jack told Nick about their house in Cape Nettick, that it was isolated, and that Jackie often had a lot of cash on her. However, Nick decided he didn't really like Jack. Jack was drunk and coked up and apparently so much of an asshole that a hitman didn't even want to be around him. And see, my feeling is, too, if he really did have mob ties, he would know someone who would do it. I know. You know. The would-be hitman called Jackie and warned her. According to the defense, Jack charged at Jackie that morning, and that was why she had to shoot him. So, they're saying... Charged that, out of the bathroom? Yes, apparently. That's yeah, what they're uh, saying, that he charged at her. Okay. She hadn't planned to kill him, but at the same time, after finding out he was planning on killing her, she felt her life was in danger. That was according to defense. I can see that. In his closing argument, A.A.G. Goodwin admitted that Jackie had been abused, but that wasn't justification for killing Jack. Quote, the battered woman syndrome is not a defense. It doesn't get you acquitted unless you can couple it with some legal defense. And we have discussed in previous episodes especially the one about the beekeeper, and I don't know what episode that is, that the main law for self-defense. And mm. you, you are supposed to be in imminent, imminent danger, and you're, and if you have a way to retreat, you're supposed to be able to... Right. Not, it you doesn't have to be count able, self-defense. Right. And he was, you know, he's right. It wasn't really self-defense. In the long term. And according to the law. I'm not right, saying, right. you know. Goodwin said that Jackie killed Jack because she didn't want him to get half of her assets when they divorced. That was, by the way, that was episode 69, oh. Catching Murder with Honey, Ooh. September 13, 2019. Quote, she does not want to split it down the middle. She does not want to share what she's earned with Jack, who's about to run off to the condo to be with his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. They like to use the present tense in their... I know, articles. just like sports... Guys talking about sports. I know. Daniel Lilly told the jury, quote, I think her intention was to save her life to stop him from killing her, as she perceived it because of the years of abuse she had had with this man, the years of despair, the years of misery. You can kill if it's kill or be killed. You don't have to stand there and let someone blow your head off. 
which I'm like, yeah, but he didn't have a gun. He reminded the court that Jack reportedly had, quote, connections to people who can blow you away. He reminded them that the hitman had tipped Jackie off. He said, survival is one of the most basic instincts. Jackie has looked in the face of death. She's seen someone who wants to put her away, and she has taken action. She lived in fear, sometimes more and sometimes less. And when terror struck her that morning on April 3rd, she killed to survive. Mm. The jury deliberated less than four hours before finding her not guilty on Halloween Day, October 31st, 1991. Jackie sobbed on Dan Lilly's shoulder as he told her, it's all over. As she left the court, she told reporters, justice does prevail. I feel great. It's been hard for three weeks going through this. The jury could have found her guilty on the lesser charge of manslaughter, but they didn't. Jackie was well-liked in the community and had a lot of friends, including including local law enforcement. Jack was not very popular with the locals and an all-around dick. Mm -hmm. Those factors shouldn't make a difference, but they do. Yep, lots of things make a difference, especially since it was a local jury, right? I think so. It was in Alfred. Yeah, York County. York County. It sounds like it was... They didn't really talk about that, and I I couldn't, like I said, read all the articles. But even though, even if they're not from a gun court, you know how it is. People know people in other towns. And and I I vaguely remember the story. Um, Yeah, um, I do too. I was in New Hampshire. I was going to say that October 31st, 1991 was the night of that big storm, the perfect storm, the book is there. That's right. I didn't know that the guy said it in the thing. I mean, they had a big party at, I guess, at Jackie's too, a victory party. Thomas Goodwin, the prosecutor, later said he would have charged Jack with manslaughter had he known all the facts sooner. He was a bit miffed with the state police because of the way the case was originally presented to him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's their problem. That sounds like an internal issue. In, the, in 1999, Jackie Bevins ran for the Board of Selectmen for the town of Agunquit. She told the Associated Press at the time, I felt isolated, doing my own form of punishment. I'm ready to try this now. After the trial, Jackie went right back to work at Jackie's, too. She had also served on the zoning and planning boards uh, before she became a select woman or whatever you want to call person. it. In my town, it's the board of select persons, but nobody oh, wants really? to really call well, it the that. select. They call it the select board. Yeah, now. select board is kind of what it is. She's told the AP, I think the town has accepted me for who I am. I'm a very fair and honest person. Besides serving on boards, Jackie also volunteered serving hot chocolate at the Christmas tree lighting, visiting prisoners at the county jail and helping our employees and other businesses when they had a hard time. On April 3rd, 1999, the ninth anniversary of her husband's fatal shooting, she won her seat on the select board. Good for her. Her old friend and fellow restaurateur, Robert Camerata, told the Washington Post, What she did yesterday has no bearing on what she does tomorrow. The past is the past. A fellow select woman, Karen Maxwell, told the Washington Post, The woman has got grit. She knows better than anyone that there was more talk behind her back than to her face, and that's got to be a hard life to lead. Richard Perkins, another friend, said, She's very interested in the welfare of the town and its betterment, so even if she was Lizzie Borden, she would still get in. Mm-hmm. And I just checked, and she's not on the select board, but as recently as 2016, she she was. But I also want to add, I believe Lizzie Borden was never proven to have killed her parents. No. And was that yeah. has nothing to do with anything. No, but, but I think that was an interesting it story, is interesting. even though it is kind of short. It is, yeah, it, and it is tough to mm-hmm. find information without going to the state archives and looking through the old newspapers. Uh, stories like that always make me think that now that our perceptions 
of um, abuse and domestic violence have changed, as well as people's reactions and what it does to people that may be the laws regarding self-defense. And not that it should be open season on an abuser, but, but, you know, and it's not really clear from that story. I mean, she knew the cops and everything. If she ever, was ever filing charges against him or calling the cops. Oh, no, I don't think she did. But no. one issue is, and you see this in a lot of cases, that the guy is pretty much allowed to behave the way he behaves. And somebody who's in a situation like that, like she is, and we'll talk more about it with the book, is trapped. They feel trapped. Yeah. They feel there's no way out. They can't leave because he's going to kill them. And that's and what... there's nobody controlling his behavior. And even if... Yeah. Like, I never understand why, if it's obvious... I mean, if there are the only two people there, okay, call the cops. You know, she needs to call the cops. But also, like, the rules around how somebody who's abusing someone else is charged or arrested and the really careful way they treat those people. And now what we know about what happens to somebody who's in in an abusive situation, you would think somehow the laws would be adjusted enough to account for that trapped place they get into when nobody's going to help them. I know. Well, well and that was 30 years ago, although we still... I think people are a little more... Maybe a little more understanding of it now, but I still think... Not as much as you'd think. And I think that if he had been a well-liked person around town... If she, it, it would have been... If it had been, thing. yeah, it would have been... Well, I just heard a stat somewhere recently, and I didn't think I'd need it, so I haven't looked it up again or anything. Overall, the courts are much more lenient to husbands who kill their wives than they are to wives who kill their husbands. And usually there are two different reasons. I know. And that's the thing. And usually not, I mean, to general. well, I'm going to generalize. Go ahead. But a lot of times, if you look at, like, why a husband kills his wife, he's usually the abuser. But when the wife kills the husband, because she's, she's being yeah. abused. Yeah. So you'd think that would be the other way around, right. but of course it's not. Well, it's because of the way, like, I read a book recently about a woman whose husband turned out to be a serial rapist. But he started, they were, he he was in the Navy and they were living in Washington State. They were from Texas. She kept trying, when she figured out what was going on, she kept trying to turn him in. And in Washington State, they figured out what he was doing, but they couldn't arrest him. They couldn't get enough evidence or whatever. They moved to Texas and he was incredibly abusive to her, including raping her. Although I don't think she realized it was rape. He would tie her Mm -hmm. to the bed, even though she didn't want to be in. She called the cops. She did all sorts of things. And they kept saying oh, we can't do anything, and they didn't believe her over and over. They didn't believe her. It seems to me like the guys who are in those positions seem to get a lot of breaks. Yes. And people kind of blame the law or justice system, but it's not. It's the people involved in the law and justice system who don't like want to be bothered yeah. or go out and figure it out. And she was also told, and this is something we have to put on our list to ask Matt, in Washington State, she had told the cops, she would testify against him, and they said, you can't because you're his wife. And I always thought it was, you can't, you can't be made to... T- but marital privilege. But then I, right, that, that you can, but you can't be made to. But yes. then I just read in another book that some states have laws that you can't testify against your spouse, mm-hmm. which I think is ridiculous yeah. because if, you, if you're the witness to a crime, and she had evidence, like she had the friggin' like, homemade ski masks he was wearing to break in and rape. But 
that book, and that's a whole different tangent, it was like the cops, it was all these different towns in Texas, south of Houston, and the cops weren't talking to each other or apparently doing any research. And also, a lot of the victims weren't believed. You know, that the, the yeah, level... Came, even came forward because... I know, the level know. of... Right, the level of proof you need to to prove you were you were raped I know. seems to be that just, you know... But anyway, I'm getting on another tangent. But I'm not saying that people should be allowed to get away no. with just killing someone. On the other hand, people get in a position where they don't see any way out. That's what happens. And, and, I and think- that's part of battered women's syndrome. On the, um, I think it was a CDC website, there were like four different stages, but it said, now I should have written them down, but the fourth stage is getting out, but most, right. they said a lot of women don't because right. they're either killed first Right, and, go to jail and if, and if for self defense, if you have to wait till you're cornered in a room and he's coming at you with a knife, chances are you're not gonna I know. be able to kill him. And and again, and I know we say this before, and other people say it too. You know, people are why didn't she leave? Why didn't she leave? But nobody says why doesn't somebody stop him? I from know. A lot of times there are people that know. Or, or you suspect right. that someone's being beaten, or but you don't want to pry. You don't want to be embarrassed by being wrong and accusing well, somebody. Well, and also, the, to be fair to the people around the victim, the and it's not the victim's fault, and I didn't mean to, to make it sound like I was saying it was her fault, but oh, yeah. the victims will, like, downplay it right. and try to hide it because right. they're ashamed or they right. just, they're frightened. Right, like, this whole thing, like, in court, it always drives me nuts when it, the the attorney is, like, well, she never told people, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it's like a lot of people don't because they're embarrassed or they don't want to get in more trouble. They don't because want to die. Because they're going to get the shit beat out of them. Right. You know? Especially in a small town. You yeah. know, there's nowhere to hide. And to say, oh, she's bigger than him. You know what? Yeah. He's a guy. They're yeah. stronger. Yeah. It's more will, yes. you know, your your emotional ability to be like that. Well, he coerced I mean, from the beginning. Yeah. Like, you know? yeah, all that course and stuff. And maybe that's a good segue into our... Yes, because when I was writing this, I, we, had, we both just read this book. So let's do our recommendation. <laughs> we both... Did you listen to the audiobook or did you read... Uh, I listened to And it. so I read the book and it was called... If You Tell. If You Tell by Greg Olson, who was a true crime writer who did a lot of things in the Pacific Northwest and is now a thriller, fiction thriller writer, but he went back to write this book, and I got the impression from reading the acknowledgments and stuff at the end that the daughters of this woman kind of got him to write it. It's um, a horrific story of a psychopathic, abusive woman and eventual spoiler, we're going to have some spoilers in this, triple murderer who... Yeah just wreaked horrible abuse on her family. And it's funny, I realized after seeing this that I've seen at least one true crime show. I know there was a Snapped that I don't think I saw, but there was a Disappeared about the Kathy woman. But I didn't even make the connection until I looked online after reading the book and saw the photo of Kathy because it was presented in such a different way. But should we get right into our NNW rating? Before we get into that, the Audible, because I have Audible because of... You don't have to... But it, um, it was narrated by Karen Peaks, the book I listened to, and um, she does a really good job. Oh, that's good. That's good. And she... <laughs> I write it, the Kindle version. She does. her vo- the, the voices and stuff yeah. are so good. And for those of you who are possibly new to the podcast, 
everything we rate starts with a 10. Yes. And we take away either half a point or a point on different things. Some, depending on what type of, what platform we're rating, some things don't apply. And I do want to say, because we haven't said it in a long time, that we created the system. Amber from Black Chick Watching, who no longer has a podcast, I and I kind of miss does. it. No, she, she hasn't done it in like two years or yeah, I like to. But she had her Black Chick Watching podcast where she rated things on as a black woman yes. what. But she encouraged other people to do their own rating systems with the same type of rating system. So this is this is ours. And we're negative, so it's negative Nellie's watching. Yes. Um, I don't know how we came I think we did come up. It was a few years ago we yeah. came up with it, so now it's hard to remember. So the first and should we do it together? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The first the first thing is bad reenactments. It's a book, so it doesn't have reenactments. And the second thing is narrative cliches. I'm taking away a half a point because it does have narrative cliches. I think of a narrative cliche as, you know, an overly obvious phrase being used or conclusion about a person or something. Yes. And I will say, I've read a lot of books by this guy. Some are better than others. This one felt kind of rushed. Did you feel that there was any narrative cliches? I don't, I'm not. I'm not going to take away a point okay. because of uh, well, because it's a, it's a true story. Yeah, I'm taking away half a point. Okay. But yeah, but the author himself. I mean, I might take away points in the. I mean, you can have a narrative cliche if yes. you're writing. I'm not saying you need to, but I'm just explaining. I that. No, I understand what okay. your point yeah, is. Okay. The next one: racial gender obtuseness. Taking away a point because the only time he mentions somebody's ethnicity is when they're not white. Twice he he has native, you know, he married a uh, Native yes, American girl. They were both drunk. He she married a Native American guy. They were both drunk. And there's the the person's ethnicity doesn't play into it. The one with the Native American woman had a son. Yeah. So he was half. So he was dark and stuff. But you can get that in some other way. And that's one of my. I just want to say all you aspiring writers out there. Um, one of my peeves is when somebody's ethnicity is mentioned for no reason. If their ethnicity is important, you can get it in other ways. But to say the Mexican busboy did blah, 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 or the, you know, the black woman, you know, was standing in front of me at Walmart. I'm taking away a point as well, because I feel like the, for lack of a better word, protagonist Shelley was fucking crazy. crazy. But I felt like... Her husband was a lot more culpable for the things he did than the author. I think the author gave him more of a pass because, yes, she was the dominant person in that relationship. And she manipulated a lot of what happened. She was manipulative, but he, I felt like he gave him more of a pass. He did, and I also felt, and I agree with you on that, but I'm already taking away a point, so I can't take away more, that... She was crazy, and we can get more into the, his depiction of that later, but there were also cliches, I felt, that were misogyny-based yeah. concerning her and the her her actions and the battered husband who... Battered, he was a victim, too. He was a victim, too, but, but he also literally pulled the trigger yeah. in one case, and mm-hmm. he needed to be blamed more than he was. Lack of good visuals obviously doesn't matter. It does to me because I read the book and I'm taking away a point because there were no pictures at all, no pictures. And I don't care if it was the daughters who apparently want to kind of maintain their privacy, but I feel 
also kind of got him to write this book. I'm sorry, you I gotta have some friggin' pictures. I looked online. But I, I didn't want to look. I didn't want to look online too much because I didn't want to find out what yes, happened. Me too. When they do it in a book, lots of times they can do it in a way so you're yeah. not really sure. But you gotta have photos. Uh, all publishers, if any of you listen, uh, writers, true crime, crime has you to have, have to have. Photos and there are none. And then he mentioned that there are hundreds of photos yeah. of the girls. Well, that's there a, are little girls. Why right. can't we see photos? Right. And that's my... another peeve I have, writers. If you're going to talk about a photo, yes, we need to see it. We need to see it. And I don't care about your description of it. You know, whatever impression you're trying to talk about or whatever is fine. But don't go on and on about a photo if you're not going to have it. Well, the other thing is the thing that. I don't understand. I can understand not wanting to show a picture of a kid when they're still a kid. But when someone's grown up and everything, why can't you show right. their childhood picture? Yes, and plenty of true crime books do. And also show a picture. Have at least a picture of Shelley. And there, Dave. I know. I know. You know, there I were saw no, them online, but I didn't see many well, of no, the Well, no, I'm not even talking about I know, I'm talking about the freaking book, book. I know. I know. You know, have a picture of the farm. I know. You know have a I picture know. of... Poor, poor the people liked who were killed. That. I would have liked to have seen Because one of the things in this book is... A little map of the farm, too. One of the things in this book, and they're not the first ones to have done this, like Sheila Labar in New Hampshire did it, too. They got people to come live with them. Yes. And then just abuse the oh, living shit out of God. the people until they died. Yeah. Have a picture of the people who died. I know. You know, Kathy and poor Kathy Ron and, Ron and Shane. And Shane. Anyway, yes. so I so that's two and a half now. Ooh, and I'm, I'm at, at two. Missing pieces. Yes. Okay. There were big ones and small ones, and I won't go through everything, but I'll give an example. That that old guy Mac who died, and we never really find out what happened. Supposedly yeah. he fell out of a chair, but then there's an implication that Shelley killed him or finished him off. But Mac had left everything. He had left five thousand dollars to Shelley and everything else he owned to his dog. Who was old, a black lab. But when the dog died, Shelly would get everything. Then the author says, but Shelly wouldn't hurt a dog, would she? And then you never, ever, uh, ever find yes, out. I agree. And she wasn't arrested for like another year or two. If she killed, now I would think, yes, she would kill the dog or drive it 200 miles away and drop it in a ditch I or know. something. And you never find out if that happened. And yes. that if she got the guy, I can't imagine she wouldn't. Because she wanted the I know, she wa- And she did have that. I mean, she had use of the house. Right. So. And that's just one example. Yes, there were some timeline were, inconsistencies yes, that were, were hard to figure out. And um, I feel... I felt a lot of things were... I, I felt like... I felt like it was rushed. Yeah. I felt like I needed to... And I'll get more into that in storytelling. But yeah. So I'm taking away a point for that, too. So that's three and a half. Two. I've taken away. I've taken away three. Inaccuracy, anachronisms. I, I don't, I don't know. And there may have been some minor anachronisms, but I'll not. No. Uh, Storytelling. Well, I'm going to take away half a point because it was very detailed and it was a fairly linear story. But again, I feel this has to do with. It felt like the book, even though it was fairly long, it was like 450 pages, which is fine with me. I like a nice long book, but I feel like it was rushed and like the long litany. Of Shelley's abuse, particularly Kathy. Like, it we're, Ugh. like, it's just page after page after page after page. And on one hand, yes, he's, he's cataloging all this abuse, but I felt like it needed, I mean, when you're a fiction writer, one of the things is you have a, a dramatic scene, and then you let the reader take a break with a quieter scene. And, like, you build tension. But there's, like, a hundred pages in a row 
uh, just this horrific abuse of this woman, Kathy, he needed to somehow, like, I would have liked to have known, for instance, more about, apparently her family, we find out in little bits and pieces toward the end, kind of another missing, that her family had said she was a missing person. They yes. did buy Shelly's story. Yes. It has some chapters break off and talk about her family. I would have liked to have more about her family. Her. I would have liked to have known more. And we're still on missing pieces, right? Because yes. I'm going to take it No, we're on storytelling. We oh. skip missing pieces. We, we're past missing pieces. Oh. But you can do it in storytelling. I would need to point out for missing pieces. But he only mentions in passing once about Sammy, the middle daughter, meeting her biological father right. later in life. He never talks about Nikki and her biological right. father. She reconnected yes. with him. Yes, We do talk a lot to Laura. Yeah, because um, all Shelley's three daughters, all three of her daughters were by different fathers. Yes. And that was another thing I felt that was a mi- big missing piece was that he did interview, like, Nikki, the oldest daughter's yes. father. He talked to him, but then there was no indication of whether he was in his daughter's yes. life. He ever tried to contact her. And like, thought, she could have taken off and gone to live with him. But I agree with you about the storytelling. It focused, obviously, it was Nikki and Sammy's point of view, and Tori, to some extent, the three daughters. And I understand that, but I would have liked to have known more about the family. I mean, even if... The, okay, so Ron, um, one of the victims, was estranged from his family, but well, he, because Shelly because Shelly did, him. but he could have I mean, talked to the family yeah, and if, find out like all this shit is what, happening to Kathy. Meanwhile, Kathy's mother and what sister you think was are happening? filing a missing yes. person report, because we don't find that out until no. the end. But we, they we also don't find out really what other people were thinking. Right? It was just it was kind of like in passing. Oh, the people of the town called her psycho Shelly. Well, Why? I'd like to know. Right, and I'm saying he and he obviously talked to other yes. people, so. He could have broken up. Yes. Like, I remember there was one night, I think the first night I was reading it, and I might have even texted you, and I'm like, oh my god, this is just going on and I on know. and on and on and on. It wasn't, like, I don't get, like, like really grossed out, like, oh, I don't want to read this because yeah. it's so horrible. But I just felt like it was just this relentless, yeah. that it needed writing-wise to be broken up. So I think I'm at minus four and a half points. Uh-huh. I believe I'm at minus four. Freshness. Yeah, I mean, I I thought, I thought it, was it was fresh. I I know I have seen. Apparently, there was a snap yeah. that I may or may not have seen. I saw it disappeared. I think I've seen bits and pieces of this, and I think even as and if you're the one who wrote it, let us know. When I was a judge for the Writers Digest self published contest, I feel like I read a book by somebody who was involved in this, but a family member who wasn't part of this immediate Ooh. family. And I might have to go back and look if I still have those in my, like, the ebooks. But so much of it was familiar, and I hope I'm not offending whoever wrote it, but it was a self-published book, and there were issues with the book, but it, I felt like the person was related to somebody and was trying to find out what happened to some family member. Hmm. I'd have to, it was years ago, so I'd have to go back. And... Repetition? No, there was no bothersome repetition. His... Except for some of the writing, writing, some of the cliches in the writing that the writing, I felt like it could have been edited better. So I don't, I don't know if I blame him, but I felt like things were overexplained. Yeah, didn't need to be. Yes, there was some overwriting, and I don't know if you put that as another category besides repetition. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll take anything off for that. Beating the drum, no. To me, I feel like beating the drum is when somebody's trying to make a point yeah. like more like about capital like punishment or, or, or something or a, yeah no i didn't i wouldn't say beating the drum so i i gave it a six 
I thought it was good. I wouldn't read it. I thought it was good in that it provided a lot of information, and it was an interesting story, and it was appalling. It was frustrating. But one thing, and this is kind of an overall thing that bothered me too, the woman obviously had major psychological issues, and I'm not saying that as an excuse, but what I'm saying is books that for 450 pages present this abhorrent, this horrible, horrible, abusive awful behavior and she'd do things like make the kids she always was making people be naked and it wasn't like a sexual assault thing i think it was a definitely a control mind she loved mind fucking like throwing her kids homework away and then they couldn't find it but she would make especially that shane and nikki who were kind of around the same age and shane was a nephew who came to live with them they did this thing called wallowing where they'd be outside, and Dave, the husband, would be spraying them with a cool garden hose, and they'd have to roll around it in the mud mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, and there was a lot of horrible. We don't need to go. But I felt like he's presenting just this litany of yes. behavior with no context. And then at the very, very end, yes, there's two or three pages by a PhD, yes. like an, an afterthought epilogue type thing. Talking about talking about, yeah. talking about the behavior and also victim victims who why they end up being being not leaving kind of thing yes. and it, that was good but I feel like if there had been more of that in the book mm-hmm. and you don't want to do this it's a writing thing you don't want to have this awkward she's doing this because blah blah yeah. blah but you but there needs to be more he needed to ask different questions of people. Like obviously from the time she was a very young girl, she yes. was a psycho. Yes. And, like, and for instance, putting broken glass in people's shoes. Right. And it, it this is another case of somebody who apparently was just allowed like people were afraid of her. People like but when her parents were trying to find like a high school for her to go to because she kept getting kicked out of places Put her in a fucking reform school. I know. You know that's that's my thing. Like so, she was logical. But she was enabled before. Like people allowed her behavior to control them with nobody ever really trying to do something about her behavior. Get her to figure out why she was why she was like that. Right. And and she and because and I'm not obviously a psychiatrist and. It, she didn't grow up to be the horrible, abusive person she is just because she was native. Yeah. But I feel like it, it, she learned at a very early age that she was the one in control and she could do yes. whatever she wanted and treat yes. people however she wanted and get away with it yeah. because people were afraid of her and yes. didn't want to deal with her. And that happens to a certain extent with other people who aren't right. as bad as but her, I, but people who are... You know. But I feel like the book, like he kind of presented yes. 450 pages of just this face value yes, and exactly. and she was at times called my least favorite word evil yes. and stuff and and I think one reason I dislike the word it's evil simplistic. sometimes I try to think it is simplistic and the thing is too it excuses people from having to say why is this person like this and sometimes when you say that why is this person like this people are like uh well other people are blah 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 and, you know it's no excuse to act that way no but when you Trying to figure out why people behave the way they do, it helps to keep them and other people in the future from doing the same harm. Like, if you try to figure out why some asshole in a hotel in Las Vegas Mm. shot 50-something people, if you actually try to figure out why he was like that, just saying, oh, we don't know the motive, he seemed okay to me, 
Or he was just he was evil. evil. He was evil. Then, yeah. then it's just going to perpetuate yes. because somehow it's it's two twenty twenty for God's sake. We should be able to figure out. Well, someone's born. Why not humans? They're not born that way, and I'm not saying and, it's all. Well, nurture. some people are born with Something brains wrong. Yeah. that don't function yes. like other people's brains yes. do. But that doesn't mean you can't figure out why or do things to mitigate it yes, or exactly. find strategies. Exactly. But pl- trying to placate. You know what it reminded me of, too, when she was a little, when they were talking about it when she was a little girl? That Twilight song where Billy Mummy is, is like. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I know. I <laughs> that horrible kid I know. that makes and the, people go. And, oh, and another thing we didn't even talk about, that she was, she was cute. Yeah, she um, was pretty. She yeah. was pretty and. I think that helped her get away oh, yeah, with behavior. Definitely. And but here's another here's a peeve of mine, a gender peeve. She got away with a lot more with guys. And and you see this just in general life too. Like if a guy wants this attractive woman and she's paying attention to him and stuff, he kinda almost doesn't give a shit if she's an asshole. Yeah, I know. And then he gets married or involved with her and she's like, Oh and he's like, Oh, why is she such an asshole? And it's like, well, you kind of knew she was. Like, yeah. we saw, we both saw whatever that true crime show was where that woman killed that poor dentist guy. He was rich. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I can't remember which of the millions of yes. shows we watched. But she was attractive, and yeah. that's what he liked about yes. her. And But then they got married, and she just wanted his money. And he's yeah. like, oh, I, I know she just wants my money, blah, blah, blah. Well, you just wanted her fucking attractiveness to be on your pretty. arm. Yeah. So don't, you know, so it's a lesson to everybody. That you want to look for the inner person <laughs> and not get involved. If you get involved with somebody who's a psycho, they're going to be a psycho. Yeah, I know. Not that I'm blaming victims, but I do feel like the book gave a huge pass to her. And he must have been one of those very passive personalities. And I almost wondered at some points if he was not on the spectrum, but if he was just slow in some way. I know. I know that's probably not a politically correct way to say it. It was hard to tell because the, seemed, it, the things that he... He had no... N- never anything bad to say about I her. Know. And even after, like, and I texted you about one, one thing he said, and I can't remember what it was, well, and like, I remember texting oh, him saying, she's really? such a giving person. Yeah, and, and it's, like, stuff, and it's like... But, but she was a psychopath who yes. could make people... And they seek out charm people, people. The people right. hurt, and I'm not... And this is not victim-blaming by any means, but the... the um, they Kathy, know who they... They manipulate the people they yeah. can manipulate. Yeah. And, you know, and the people they can't, they leave alone. Right. I mean, they move on to somebody that they can't. Right. That's, I mean, that's what they are. They seek. They're, they're always trying it with people, and some. If it doesn't work, then they they usually right. move on. And like her first two husbands were like, "Fuck this shit. Yeah. I'm getting out of here." And then poor Dave was with her for fifteen. And her stepmother didn't really put up. You know, I thought it was. Well, I think her stepmother though. was relieved to. Be I thought better. it was weird though that it's not just like she would do stuff. Like, some people are narcissistic, and they're, like, swindle people to get stuff, to get money. She would do stuff that, for no reason, well, well, was horrible. Well, like, like sending something back to somebody, someone, oh, let me send you the jacket that you left here, and then just ripping it up and sending right. it well, back. Well, because psychopaths, I mean, just, well, I've been doing a, a lot of reading up about psychopaths. Because you are one? Yes. Yeah, well, no, I'm trying to convince myself I'm not one. But that's a sign of not being a psychopath. If you're afraid you are one. No, I'm just kidding. But no, for the book I'm writing, there's oh, stuff yeah, in it. Yeah, I <laughs> say it was such dismissal. You're writing a book? Uh, I'm not really writing you're not it, writer. but I'm thinking a lot. I'm visualizing a book. <laughs> they 
they get off on drama. They get off on fucking around with people. They're bored if they're not. Yes. And they do things just to fuck with people. Like gaslighting can be to control people yeah. and stuff and coerce Which she people. she does all the time. But it's also to fuck with people. She would take their stuff. She would hide the kids' yes. shoes and then make them look all yes. like their shoes. And stuff. She wouldn't let people go to the bathroom. I know. And then she would punish them for like peeing in a cup or something. Like I said to you, I'm amazed that no one killed her. Yeah. Just because because the story we just read. Right. And I mean that nobody felt trapped right. enough. And that to was break another thing too. Her. Like he touched on why people would become victimized and become passive and become uh, allow themselves to be treated but he didn't go deep enough yes. and again that little afterward by the PhD and I almost feel like after he's done with the book his editor said you know you really need somebody to explain some of this so he gets his PhD oh but I do feel like it could have been better yes. it was interesting enough to keep reading because yes, he wanted to find out what happened and he did have a lot I mean it wasn't he did a lot of research there was, I felt like there was a lot of information there but I just felt like I don't know that it needed to be presented, I don't want to say more well-written, because it's not like his writing was horrible, but it wasn't structured well. And like I said, it would have been great if he had had more information about, like, Kathy's family yes. looking for her. I wish he had, a, like you were talking about the psychology, the victim psychology, too. Like, why would, I don't want to give a spo- too much of a spoiler, but why would a victim... Tell like why would what would compel you even if you knew that you were being abused by this person? Why would you tell on somebody else? Well, to put to protect I know, yourself. To, I know that, but he but needs he, to say it, yeah. right? And that's one thing I was thinking too. Because could you could but, be reading it and be like, "What but, a little bitch! Why would she tell?" Right, and you read it in like better written books where there were situations where a family was being abused, and he would say he kind of say it in a superficial way, like. She was just happy it wasn't her. Yeah. Blah blah blah. But but, but it's like a war. Right. But it's a war zone. Yeah. That where and it's the psychology. You, right. You hate yourself for doing it, but you right. You don't want to make things worse. Yeah. You wanna be. You know. It's, and the way they all felt about poor Kathy. Yeah. Oh, poor Kathy. Oh, it's just oh, it was like awful. that part where she like they made her ride around in the trunk, and she just like just get just in. being like like yeah. Tori went out there with the laundromat and said, "How are you doing in there, Kathy?" And Kathy's like, "Oh," and oh, it's just heartbreaking. Oh, and the other thing is the sheriff. That, oh, that's what I want to talk about. Because Nikki, the oldest daughter, and these are spoilers. Finally, after she got out of there and stuff, went to the sheriff, told her story, and he felt he couldn't do anything more unless he got hold of Sammy, the second daughter. <laughs> And and the thing is, he, there were plenty of things and ways to investigate. He didn't do anything about right. it. And that's oh, and there, there and was two, another missing. At least two other people, to, uh, three. Right after Kathy. Right. No, it was two. 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 Shane. Yeah. And that we and the Mac, that old guy. Yeah. Well, I was saying two. Dog. Well, Ron. after the sheriff knew two people died, right. Ron and Mac. Right. And right. and Shane had died, but also there were little things like it said. Um, you know, Shane had had, it said Polaroids of Kathy crawling on the floor, but then later it said he took a picture, and and Shelly didn't know it yet, but there was an unexposed roll of well, film. Well, I thought that was an addition to the Polaroids. Right, whatever, of her crawling on the floor. Yeah. So I'm thinking, are there Polaroids in? But then it yeah. never, never talks more about the unexposed. I know. It never talks about the evidence against her. I know. But I felt like the sheriff knew something was going on, but in the way, just like that serial rapist book, he was kind of 
didn't really want it to be his problem. Yes. And I think in a way that's what a lot of, you know, there's good, really good law enforcement around, but I think like in that rapist book and then on another true crime show I was watching where these two boys, young teenagers, found a skull and the cop got mad at him. Well, now you've just caused me a lot of pain. Yeah. You have to do it. It was a murdered person that they would just rather not have to deal. Well, I feel like in the book, maybe, maybe because, I mean, it was already over 400 pages, maybe they didn't want well, to make some of that could have been... I know. Well, yeah, I know. I wanted to know more how they convicted her. I don't right. need long trial got, court scenes. And then they got these incredibly short sentences. I know. Because Ron's already, I mean, Dave's already out. Yeah. And she's going to be out Two or years. up for parole in, in 2022. And it was like, well, they couldn't prove a lot. Like, they couldn't... There was a fair amount of evidence. Like, I know they didn't have bodies. Like, Dave did a pretty good job of incinerating yes. bodies. But there was still, it seems to me, enough evidence that they could have gone for more... Well, remember there was that whole part where Sammy... Or, not Sammy, Tori hid, like, Ron's clothes right. and stuff like that. And they never, and they like, never talked what about that. Yeah. That. And right. I, I just wanted to know more. I don't like... To have, uh, you know, blow-by-blow blow courtroom scenes. Yeah, I always get bored when the courtroom scenes But, but I, I would have liked to know as far as the investigation yes. goes. Because the biggest thing we learn about the investigation is the lazy-ass sheriff yes. just kind of dropped the ball, and then two more people died, and possibly a dog. We'll never know. Aww. But And then he, he talks about the sheriff going to the house for various things, but never why. Like, I feel like the book's a little half-baked in yeah. that. Like, especially with the Ron part, when Ron was living, there were timeline issues yes. and things that were confusing. Is he here? Is he there? What's going on yes. with who? Um, Although I can tell you when <laughs> that part in the book, because I didn't, like I said, I didn't read, I didn't want to read. I don't like when I'm listening to a true crime book, I, I don't like going online, or even right. when I'm listening to a podcast. I don't want to know what happens. So I, um, when she decided to have Ron move in with her, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, oh, Ron, don't, don't. Oh, that poor, poor guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I still would recommend What the name it. again is? If You Tell. If You Tell by Greg, Greg Olson. Olson. Greg with two G's Olson. And it, I mean, yeah. I, I... Now that you know everything that happens. Yeah, I know. I recommend the Yeah, book, I do recommend it. Even too. though it got a fairly low score. That doesn't, as we've discussed before, that doesn't necessarily mean we don't recommend it. Right. Thank God that there's no one like that in my life. Yeah. Because That you do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've, we've but all that, dealt But that's the thing, people. too. Like, people in the psychopaths are very good at people who are intimately connected yeah. to them Although, all day. Uh, well, a lot of them are yes. at charming or fooling people. So people, oh, they seem fine to me. Oh, she was a nice gal, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And when people, or when people say, oh, they were Jekyll and Hyde, they're not really Jekyll and Hyde. They're just able to put on a very superficial face yeah. for people. But that, what I thought was interesting is she is she didn't really hide it. No. The fact that she was a nutcase. No. Like, she didn't hide it, and yet, but the problem is someone, and we've talked about this before, when someone is like a difficult person like that, or obviously she's worse than a difficult person, but most people, if you can get away from that person, that's what you do. Right. Like, you don't want to deal with them. You don't want <laughs> You don't want them. it to be your problem. You, no. But yeah. well, guess what? When you're a sheriff or a sheriff's deputy like that guy. It, it is your it problem. Is, you're, you're, you're yeah. supposed to, when someone comes to you and says, I think someone killed someone. Yeah. You're supposed to do a little more than just be like, wait around. Right. Oh, gee, her other daughter won't talk to me, so I guess I can't do anything. Right. And it seems to me Sammy backing it up 
wouldn't have been like he still would have had to do some investigating. And it, and I feel like if they had poked around the farm a lot more, even with cadaver dogs or something, I mean, uh, maybe I sound naive and simplistic, but it seems to me they could have found evidence that she killed well, these people, there. that she could have been convicted there. of murder. And the other thing is, which obviously but they, they could have something. proved how he died yeah, or whatever. That's right. What, what bothers me is I feel like if the local constabulary or whoever isn't doing something for you, you should be able to. I mean, if her family knew a little more, maybe, you know, they could have, Kathy's family could have gone to, right. like, not maybe not the FBI, but the state police right. or something. Yeah. I mean, they lived in this, you know, this know. small town, so. I I, but I think people are kind of at a loss of who to go to, mm-hmm. and they trust law enforcement, and when law enforcement kind of blows something off, they're not, I would have recommended this a while back, but I don't know if I'd recommend it now. People should try going to the press. I know. And uh, a lot of the press I've dealt with in the past decade probably would blow it off, too. But if you get the right person and somebody starts, because reporters can ask questions that police can't or won't. And well, just like a mad sculptor would. The people that really started asking the questions were reporters. Right. Or was a reporter for the true crime magazine, the Pulp magazine. Yeah. He's the one that found that there was one alibi he found, you know. The fact that there are people like that in the world is is scary. Yeah, well, I'm reading a book called The Psychopath Epidemic, and, you know, estimates are 1% to 5% of all people are psychopaths, and people think of them as serial killers or people like Shelley and stuff, but a lot of them aren't. No. But this book makes a very good case that they're CEOs and people because they lack empathy, yeah, they're yeah. narcissistic, and um, driven, and they, so they're very good at running corporations, or countries, you know, they, they have no problem lying. Although I will say there are narcissists, narcissists that suck at running a country. Right, I'm not saying psychopaths, not oh, narcissists. Sorry. I'm not saying they're good at no. what they do, but they still, they're we have a lot of CEOs it. and stuff yes. who, who are shitty, but still become CEOs. Yeah, that's true. How many of us have had managers yes. who are crappy managers, but manage mm-hmm. to get to the exactly. top because they they'll do things that will bother other people yes. or Doesn't act bother, yes. in ways or lie about things. Yeah. And, and you know, so when somebody says somebody's a psychopath, don't think, well, they're not a serial killer, so they're obviously yeah, not. I know. There are psychopaths all around you. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we should probably say goodnight. Yes. And we'll try again to not have you wait as long. I'm doing the next one. I already have a topic in mind. Ooh. And you can find us on Crime and Stuff Online. Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. No. I just roll my eyes at Instagram because we're never on there. Well, I'm, I keep intending to, but I was having a problem getting the account back on my mm-hmm. phone and, you know, stuff. Is there anything else we need to say? Thank you for listening. Thanks. We appreciate it. And I would make a pitch for Patreon, but I feel bad since we're only getting one episode a month out. Yes. But, yeah, I feel yeah. like people aren't going to get their two Well, I'm going through some stuff, so. Yeah, she is. I'm living with my parents right now. Well, when we first started three years ago, who was living with her parents? I was. Yes. Yeah. The same two people. Yeah. And also, I'm, I have three jobs, and I know I said that before. Maybe sometime I won't have three I have jobs. a job. It's called being a mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually have a full-time job, too. Yeah, you do. 
And yeah. you're a mom. It's the hardest job in the it world. It is. It's the most important <laughs> yeah. job of all. Right. Her kid's pretty self-sufficient. And I've got my little... So, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, I know your ears are probably bleeding at this point, but... Hang on for a couple more minutes and listen to what's up next. We have a promo for a podcast that we like a lot and we think you'll like it too. Thanks. Hey, Crime and Stuff listeners. Cece here, and I'm the host of the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. We focus on cases based in my wonderful home state of Oklahoma. And since the term Sooner actually refers to the state's very first true crime, Cheaters in the Land Run, Oklahoma is definitely a crime state. Sooner State True Crime can be found in most podcast apps or visit our website anchor.fm slash crime state. New episodes are released twice a month. Follow us on Twitter at Crime State for upcoming episodes and more. So come away with me and discover my crime state on the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. Another witness was Mike Linozzi, who was... Somebody's at the door. Let's see who it is. Well, hello, Miss Khabibi. She's very upset with us. She said, how dare you try to shut me out? I'm supposed to be in this podcast, too. <laughs>